What's up ASM? It has been a hot minute since I have been with you guys. We've had Austin, we've had Mitchell, we've had uh, Adam do his first message with you guys. So it's been a while. In case you've forgotten who I am, I'm Curtis. I'm the high school pastor. Let me reintroduce myself. Uh, I'm super glad to be with you guys as we enter the last two weeks in our study of the book of James. And this week we're going to be looking at James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. And I want to remind us that James, uh, our tagline for this series is faith that works. And that's twofold. Let's remind us as we, as we come to the end here. It's that faith must be put to work and also, we have faith that is effective, okay? Meaning that it does indeed work. And that's what James is about, is this idea of faith that is then put to work. I'm going to give you our big idea right up front. Then I want to give you a little story. And then we're going to dive into our passage and just kind of pick it apart. Um, and so our big idea uh, this afternoon, evening, whenever you're watching, maybe it's morning. Our big idea is that everyday followers of Jesus rely on God through prayer. It's our big idea. That everyday followers of Jesus rely on God through prayer. That's how we show that we rely on God. Now, when I was uh, young, tail end of elementary school, entering middle school, um, I had a cousin, my third cousin that was born on my mother's side. Now, I don't mean like third cousin as in like removed and all that weird nonsense. She was just the third in line born on that side of the family. So first we had Emily, then we had Austin, and then came Molly. Now, Molly, we found out before she was going to be born, my Uncle David, who's spoken at many of our winter camps, some of you may know uh, David, uh, my Uncle David and my Aunt Jackie found out that Molly was going to be born with a, a problem called spina bifida. Now, I won't get into all the details of what that means, but really what it meant is her life was going to be really tough, and it meant that she probably wouldn't have a long life. And so uh, even uh, m many of the doctors and the medical staff were telling my aunt that she should go ahead and just terminate this pregnancy. And she, she would not do that. But they prayed every day that this would be taken away from Molly. Well, Molly came and, and she didn't have that taken away. She was born with spina bifida. And uh, they, the doctors told my aunt and uncle, you know, Molly will probably never learn to walk. She'll likely never learn to talk. And uh, I'll get to the end of the story here real quick. Molly did end up passing away before she saw her second birthday. And I was super close with Molly. I loved that kid so much. Uh, and it was something that was incredibly difficult for me. But I will tell you something. My aunt and uncle's prayers may not have turned out the way that they had hoped but their prayer was still effective and their life lived out in front of others despite the outcome of prayer is what represented the gospel well in the lives of others who, though Molly died, they ended up coming to know Jesus through the faith that my aunt and uncle showed. And that is where I want to go today as we talk about prayer. Is what is prayer really about? Prayer is about our reliance on God. And I believe that James is going to put this idea forth in our passage. So if you don't have a Bible, I want you to press pause. I want you to run out of the room. Don't rely on me reading it. I want you to put God's word in front of you. I want you to press pause, go head out of the room, grab a Bible, come back, or open it on your phone, whatever you're going to do. Go ahead. All right, so you're back with us. We're looking at James chapter 5, verse 13 through verse 18. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? 
<clears throat> Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders or here pastors or leaders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Now, there's some things that we need to understand here and remember about the book of James. The book of James is a letter that's actually written to followers of Jesus that were also Jewish. Okay, so this is written from a Jewish man to Jewish men and women who are followers of Jesus. And that's going to be very helpful in understanding some of the context of what we're going to look at today. But point number one you need to see is that in verse 13, what we're called to do is pray in all seasons of life. Now, I think that James kind of covers the gamut here because he says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Are times not good? Pray. Uh, is anyone happy? Pray or praise God. Lift up praises to him. Pray. And so the, there's variables in between good and bad all over the place. Are times good? Are they bad? But in all seasons, James says we should be people of prayer. We're coming to God both when times are good and when they're not. And right now, I think that lots of us can think of times that things are not good. And here's what I think ends up happening. When we're out of practice in praying in all seasons, we begin to pray only when we have hard times, only when we have a request to bring to God. And it's easy then to begin to blame God for when things are not good and we forget all the times that things have been good. And he's the author of that too. So the second thing here, we're going to jump right past that because I feel like that's the easiest portion to understand here. Pray in all seasons. Okay. The next point is this, is pray for the sick and the sinners. Now, here's something you have to remember. Remember I said, James is writing to a Jewish audience who are followers of Jesus. Now, it's a very Jewish concept to equate sin and sickness. In other words, if you were sick, they might look at it very simply as what have you done wrong? Why are you sick? What have you done? There's an equation there that would have made sense for everyone reading this letter. But not all sickness is a result of sin. The Bible actually does seem very clear. If you read through the Bible, you will find that there are times where people become physically ill because of their sin. It's a consequence of sin. The fact that sickness exists in our world is because of sin. We live in a fallen world, which now includes illness. The Bible seems to be clear that some sickness is due to sin. But there's this really interesting passage in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus is walking along and he encounters a blind man, and his Jewish disciples ask him a very Jewish question. Is he blind because of his sin? Or his parents' sin. And what Jesus says is, neither. Jesus gives a third option, which is, he is sick or he is blind, so that 
what happens in his life may point back to the goodness and greatness of God. And Jesus then heals this man. Now, so what we can understand is that it is not always due to sin that people are sick, but it does happen. And that's specifically what James is actually talking about here. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for people who are sick, but James is talking about something very specific. And he's equating something that makes sense to a Jewish audience. Now, after that, he says, look, gather the elders, or we could put in their pastors or leaders of the church to pray for this person. And they will be made well. Now, that being made well could very well mean that they're made well instantly. It could mean that through medical practice, they're made well. It could mean that they don't get better, but they are well in God's kingdom eventually. We're not given a clear indication as to when or a time frame or how this will happen. But we know that God works for the good of those who love him. But he moves on, not just from pastors and leaders, elders praying, but then he says, you all confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Now, here's what we need to understand here is there's a very Jewish concept still happening here where the leaders are the ones who go to God on behalf of the average person. Now, what he's saying is you together, you pray you pray for and with each other. We've gone from bringing in the big guns to you all do it. And again, this is earth shattering to a Jewish audience. But the point we're making here is that we pray for the sick and the sinners. Whether or not they are sick because of their sin or they're just sick because we live in a sinful fallen world. We pray, but here's the thing that is going to help us understand all of this and bring it back around is this last point that I'm going to give you is that all of this is done with the will of God in mind, not just our requests and what we want. Point number three is that righteous prayer is focused on God's will. See, we, he talks about righteous prayer here in the last two verses, the, the prayer of a righteous person. Well, how do we know what righteous prayer is? What about when God says no in response to our prayer, in response to our request? What about when God says not yet or wait? When God doesn't say yes to what you're asking, what do we do? If we begin to lose faith at that point, then what we've said is I want to be in charge. And since I'm not, God, I'm done. Rather than realizing that God's will and what he sees things are higher than our own. I want you to think about me as a dad. Most of you guys know my kids, uh, Travis and Cadence. I have a six and a nine-year-old, soon to be seven and nine at home. And in my 36 years of life experience, I probably, hopefully you believe this, have more knowledge than they do. So when they say, I want to play the Nintendo Switch all day long, and daddy says no. Did they make a valid request that was based upon the desires of their heart? Absolutely. But in 36 years, I've learned something about staring at a screen all day. It's not good for their little brains. So you would probably, hopefully, although I know you guys like to stare at a screen all day sometimes, uh, you probably would agree with me that that's a good decision as a dad. I have knowledge. I have something, an understanding that they don't. And hopefully we understand that God does as well in our lives. 
Elijah is put forward, again, Jewish audience. So if you don't know Elijah, I'd encourage you to go read First and Second Kings. Uh, you can understand a little bit more about Elijah, particularly in First Kings 17 and 18 is what is being spoken of in this passage. Elijah was a prophet of God. He spoke on behalf of God to the people. And his whole life goal was to make God known and have God be seen as great and glorious. He had an unselfish motivation. And it says that he prayed. Now, the other thing that he prayed, but he also, James says, that he was a man, simply a human being like you and me. Now, for a Jewish audience, that was, that was a crazy statement. He's not just a man like you and me. He's a prophet. He's one of the most high prophets in, in our estimation. So the, what do you mean he's like me? See, what he's doing is he's saying you also can be someone who has righteous prayer. Righteous prayer is birthed out of the motivation for that prayer. See, righteous prayer is effective because it puts the will of God at the front of the prayer. It's unselfish and it's God-honoring. And that was all Elijah wanted to do was to make God known. And he did so by causing it to not rain for three and a half years by praying that it wouldn't. Do you think that got the, the attention of a group of people whose livelihood was based on raising crops? Probably. It was God honoring. See, James chapter 4, if we go back to that, verses 14 and 15 tell us that our focus should be on the will of God. And 1 Peter verses six through seven, verse, or chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 tells us that our suffering can prove genuineness of faith. And it brings the gospel alive when people see that we suffer and we still have faith. When we've been crying out to God and we don't lose our faith when we get a response that we were not hoping for. See, Jesus, when he tells his disciples how to pray, they come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know what Jesus starts with? You guys know this. He says, our Father who art in heaven, first thing he does, he praises God. He right-sizes him and he says, your will be done. He doesn't get to his requests for himself or for us until later. See, because his prayer is motivated by a reliance on God, recognizing that his will is supreme and not my desire. That's what prayer is really about. Everyday followers of Jesus relying on God through prayer. And so I hope that you're able to do some of this. And I'm going to encourage you with our, our closing questions. If you're at home, whether it be with a brother or sister or uh, aunt, uncle, mom, dad, whoever's at home that you can maybe uh, hopefully been watching this with them and you can have a bit of a discussion here. I've got some questions for you. Your first question is this. What habits do you have for prayer? And by that I mean... What, what do you do when you pray? Do you just make requests? Is it about you? Uh, are you praising God? Are you thankful to God? Uh, are, are you looking at who God is and putting him first, recognizing that your reliance is on him? Or is it simply requests? Are we treating God like a cosmic vending machine? Uh, what does your prayer life show about a reliance on God? Does it show that you are reliant on God? Does it show that you are kind of self-reliant the way that you pray? Or, or is there some variable in between? What does it say about your reliance on God, the way your prayer life works? And what can you do to make some changes in that? 
And then this last thing, if you have someone you can do this with at home, I want you to spend time actually doing what's being called for here, right? James mentions prayer eight times in six verses. That's more than once a verse on average. Spend some time praying with each other. And not just praying for each other, but doing what James calls us to do with each other, which is pray for each other and confess our sins to each other. Which is a whole other message. But confessing our sins to each other helps us because private sins stay, stay hidden and they hurt us. There's a reason for that. And then we are to pray for each other. So spend some time doing that. And we'll see you guys next week with our closing message in the book of James. See ya.